In Acts 8, beginning in verse 14, we read something that had perplexed me as a Protestant Christian over the years. Here's what it says, quote, Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, end quote. So when we are baptized, do we automatically receive the Holy Spirit? Or is receiving the Holy Spirit a separate event from the waters of baptism, like we see in Acts chapter 8? Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. We have been working our way through the seven sacraments, and today's episode is the second episode on the Sacrament of Confirmation. If you haven't done so already, I would invite you to listen to the first episode on Confirmation, episode 22, entitled The Jewish Roots of Confirmation. As I've mentioned many times, I grew up in a Baptist church, and I remember hearing many debates about the passage I just read in Acts chapter 8. Does one receive the Holy Spirit at the time of baptism, or is it something separate? When I went to a Christian college, I came across Christians who were part of charismatic or Pentecostal groups, and they used this term called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They argued that just because one was baptized with water didn't mean that they were also baptized with the Holy Spirit. However, in my church circles, we were taught that the Holy Spirit indwelled in us at our baptism. In fact, some even argued that the Holy Spirit indwelled in us beginning at the moment we made a commitment to Jesus. So which is it? The Catholic Church, like other historical Christian churches, maintains that there are three sacraments of initiation into the Christian life and church community, baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. We've covered the Eucharist and baptism extensively in this podcast. So what is confirmation? Confirmation, in short, is the rite where a baptized person is sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit and is strengthened for service to the body of Christ. In John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, quote, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit, end quote. Therefore, the Christian church has long understood in practice this idea that one needs to be both baptized with water and also needs to receive the Holy Spirit. And as the practices of the church developed in the first few centuries, the process of the conferment of the Holy Spirit included anointing of oil, laying on of the hands by the bishop, and the words, receive the Holy Spirit. The Sacrament of Confirmation may be one of the most misunderstood sacraments in the practice of Catholicism, and that's because it is practiced differently depending on which Catholic church you attend, and there's lots of opinions about which is the right way to do it. In Eastern Catholic churches, and yes, I said Eastern Catholic, not Eastern Orthodox churches, which is a whole topic for another episode, one is confirmed right after baptism. So whether the individual is an infant or an adult, they are baptized in water and then anointed with oil. That anointing of oil is called chrismation in the Eastern Catholic Church, whereas the Western or Roman Catholic Church refers to it as confirmation. Essentially, it's the same rite with slightly different practices. Since most Catholics fall into the Western or Roman Catholic category, they're likely more familiar with confirmation being done when one is older, usually in the teenage years, though the exact age varies from diocese to diocese. Generally, one is baptized as an infant, they are anointed with oil after their baptism by the priest, but then later in life, they participate in the sacrament of confirmation whereby the bishop completes the sealing of the Holy Spirit. 
If one is entering into the Roman Catholic Church as an adult or a child of the age of reason, then they are baptized and immediately receive the sacrament of confirmation. For example, my children joined me in becoming Catholic, and they were ages 15, 13, and 11 at the time. Our church decided to have us all go through the RCIA program together, and at the Easter vigil, myself and my oldest two were confirmed because we had already been baptized, and my youngest was baptized and then immediately confirmed. Meanwhile, a number of their peers are now going through a two-year process of confirmation classes, and they're puzzled as to why my kids have already been confirmed even though some of them are younger. Furthermore, those individuals will go to the cathedral to be confirmed by the bishop, whereas we were confirmed by our pastor at the Easter Vigil. In the Eastern Catholic churches, because they confirm the infant right after baptism, chrismation or confirmation is typically performed by the priest, as it would not be feasible for the bishop to perform all of those baptisms and chrismations. All that to say, if there's one constant about confirmation, it's that there's lots of inconsistencies in how it is practiced. Some of the older Protestant churches, including Lutherans and Presbyterians, practice confirmation as well. Confirmation in these groups is when a child of the age of reason or an adult makes a public profession of faith. Remember that these denominations practice infant baptism, so the confirmation is the baptized individual's personal decision to follow Jesus. Their parents likely made the decision to have them baptized as an infant, but confirmation is their decision to continue in the Christian life. This brings us to a debate in Catholic circles about confirmation. Some feel like confirmation really should be done when the individual is older, similar to how Lutherans and Presbyterians do it, so that it is the individual's personal decision to continue in that Christian life. However, there are others that say, no, 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 this is all wrong. Confirmation centers around the gift and grace of the Holy Spirit. That child needs the grace and power of the Holy Spirit to live a Christian life in this world. Therefore, it should be done right after their baptism, similar to how it's done in the Eastern Catholic churches. I guess we could say the Roman or Western Catholic Church kind of does both. When an infant is baptized, they are anointed with oil and prayed over to receive the Holy Spirit. Confirmation then in the Roman rite, occurring when the individual is older, is a completion of what took place at their baptism. But whether one is confirmed as an infant, at the age of 8, at the age of 16, or as an adult convert, the most important thing is to understand what is meant by the sacrament of confirmation. As I talked about in episode 3 on the sacramental worldview, a sacrament has two parts, which corresponds to its etymology. The Latin word sacramentum means a sacred oath. The Greek word mysterium means mystery. When we participate in a sacrament, we are making a sacred oath, in other words, faith, and we are receiving a mystery from God, in other words, grace. And we enter into this mystery through some sort of material. Uh, for example, in Holy Communion, we partake of the Eucharist. In baptism, we enter into the water. In confirmation, we are anointed with oil. The mystery received in confirmation is the indelible sign or sealing of the Holy Spirit. The oil used for anointing is sacred chrism, which is blessed in a special ceremony on Holy Thursday. The bishop consecrates the oil by praying the following, quote, Father, send your Holy Spirit on us and on this oil which is before us and consecrate it, so that it may be for all who are anointed and marked with it holy myron, priestly myron, royal myron, anointing with gladness, clothing with light, a cloak of salvation, a spiritual gift, the sanctification of souls and bodies, imperishable happiness, the indelible seal, a buckler of faith, and a fearsome helmet against all the works of the adversary, end quote. 
The Catechism, paragraph 1300, explains how the sacrament of confirmation is conferred. It says, quote, The essential rite of the sacrament follows. In the Latin or Roman or Western rite, the sacrament of confirmation is conferred through the anointing with chrism on the forehead, which is done by the laying on of the hand, and through the words, Excipe signiculum doni spiritus sancti, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the Eastern churches of Byzantine rite, after a prayer of Epiclesis, the more significant parts of the body are anointed with myron, or oil, forehead, eyes, nose, ears, lips, chest, back, hands, and feet. Each anointing is accompanied by the formula, signiculum doni spiritus sancti, the seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit, end quote. Because in the Roman Catholic Church confirmation takes place in the teenage years, there's this perception that it's a rite of passage, like a coming-of-age ceremony. Nothing can be further from the truth. When one receives the sacrament of confirmation, they are receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy found in Jeremiah 31, 33-34, which states, quote, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them, to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more, end quote. As we talked about in the last episode, in confirmation, God's authority is conferred upon us, whereby we become a royal priesthood. We are being equipped with the Holy Spirit. But for what purpose and to what end? First Peter 2.9 tells us that the purpose is, quote, that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, end quote. That's exactly what we see in Acts 2. As soon as the Holy Spirit indwelled in the believers in Jerusalem at Pentecost, they began prophesying. Peter, the same Peter who just a few weeks prior denied knowing Jesus, got up and gave an eloquent sermon, quoting all sorts of passages from the Old Testament. He hadn't prepared that message. God empowered him to preach it. Here's what the Catechism, paragraph 1303, states regarding the benefits of confirmation. Quote, it roots us more deeply in the divine fellation, which makes us cry, Abba, Father. It unites us more firmly to Christ. It increases the gifts of the Holy Spirit in us. It renders our bond with the church more perfect. It gives us a special strength of the Holy Spirit to spread and defend the faith by word and action as true witnesses of Christ, to confess the name of Christ boldly and never be ashamed of the cross, end quote. So here's a question for you. What do we make of those people who get confirmed, but it seems to have no impact on their life? I'm sure we all know someone who doesn't really seem to exhibit the qualities that the church says they should exhibit. Does that mean that their confirmation was invalid or just didn't stick? Think about it this way. Think about a person that gets married and then cheats on their spouse, mistreats them, abuses them, etc. Are they married? Sure. They're just as married as anyone else. They said their vows and they signed their marriage certificate. The seed of marriage was implanted in them. They just aren't nourishing that seed. They're doing everything to stifle, to hijack, and to destroy their marriage. The same is true with confirmation. There are people that get confirmed and do so just because they want to check the box to make their grandparents or parents happy or whatever. It's what's expected of them, but they have no intention on letting the Holy Spirit take control of their life. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works in spite of us, but sometimes he just takes a step back and waits patiently. 
But when we empty ourselves and we submit our lives to the Lord Jesus, we will never see the limits of the Holy Spirit's capabilities and power at work in us. He will take us to places we never expected and do exceedingly more than we ever hoped or imagined. Eventually, we will get to the sacrament of holy orders and talk about the ordaining of deacons and priests and bishops. However, what's important to understand is that confirmation, in a sense, is the ordination of the layperson. Listen to how the venerable Fulton Sheen describes confirmation and why it's an important sacrament in the life of the church. The greatest untapped reservoir of spiritual power is to be found in the Christian laity. It is mainly through the laity that the church enters into the world. Laymen and laywomen are the meeting place of the Christian and the non-Christian. They are the bond between the sacred and the profane, the religious and the sacred. The laity fulfills his Christian vocation in the world. When he comes to church, He receives life and truth and grace. He receives them for service. Service in the world. And in the world, this Christian truth and grace and life of his comes into an encounter with other men who may lack it, or certainly its richness. A Christian vocation is the exercise of of the ordinary manifestations of life in such a way the glory of God is made manifest. In the show notes, I've linked to the entire message of this. It is truly worth listening to. I've also linked to another helpful podcast from the Jeff Caven Show, which is called The New Field Guide to Confirmation. I would encourage parents especially to listen to this episode. Let me end with this thought. Oftentimes in Catholic circles, you can find the sentiment that the really holy people are those who have entered into consecrated life, whether they are deacons, priests, bishops, nuns, or monks. But what we need to understand is that when we are confirmed, we, in a sense, enter into consecrated life as well. We may never take the vows to become nuns or priests, and that's okay. That may not be our calling. Our calling may be to be married or raise children, have a job in the world. But our calling as lay people is no less important. When we are confirmed, we are taking a solemn vow to be set apart as a royal priesthood in Jesus' kingdom. And he, in turn, bestows on us the utmost grace by equipping us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode and other pertinent information in your email inbox. Go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe to get started. If you have been blessed by this podcast, would you consider supporting it by being a monthly contributor? It's the cost of a cup of coffee, and it goes a long way into covering my costs for running this podcast. Even if you cannot give monetarily, you would be doing me a huge favor by going on your podcast platform and giving this podcast a five-star rating and even writing a short review. Thank you for being a supporter of this podcast, and thank you for tuning in to another episode. My name is Justin Hibbard. And this is Why Catholic.